done. Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator. It's every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents TJ Labello, Josh Thomas, and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. Welcome into a new edition of Baseline MMA. We got a ton of things to talk about here tonight, including getting you set for a huge final card from Las Vegas this weekend, headlined by two rivals. We'll talk all about that. We'll recap this past weekend card and talk about a couple of the COVID situations going on around the UFC. Cody here with you. Josh on as always. What's happening, man? How you doing tonight? What's happening, brother? Nice to be here. Nice to see you. Yes, sir. We're having a good old time tonight. You're going to talk about a bunch of good fights. And as, as Josh has pointed out many times, it, it's an awesome fun time to be a fight fan. And, and now it's one of those times where you're starting to see a lot more of the talk kind of fade away from, from just fights. As for a long time, it seemed like the UFC was the only sport in town. Now you literally have every sport in town, as every single sport you can imagine is up and running for the first time maybe ever. Usually you have maybe, I don't know, a four- to six-week period in which you get all the major sports. You get baseball you get football, you get basketball, you're going to be talking about probably another two and a half months of having every single sport. So real easy for the UFC to fly under the radar. And uh, Josh, this past weekend, one of those shows that sort of flew under the radar with every other sport happening, headlined by Michelle Waters and Angela Hill. Now, of course, the fight card was really changed a lot after uh, Glover Teixeira uh, tested positive for COVID-19. That fight got postponed. And then that fight got postponed again here recently because Tiago uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, but uh, in the end, it was a fight card that flew under the radar, had some fights that uh, a lot of people were kind of like, eh, you know, that's a, that's a good fight, but maybe down the main card. Uh, but you mentioned it last week really perfectly. These are the shows that really usually provide some of the crazy finishes, the crazy highlights, and people are like, whoa, when did that happen? And we've seen a few of those style fights this past weekend. Absolutely, man. Not to, uh, not to hit on the – um, the preliminary card too, too much. Jalen Turner had an absolute standout performance against Brock Weaver. Um, so Jalen's one of those names that might've not been big before quarantine, but now because of the quarantine and you have all these eyes on him, um, you know, it's, it's there. The quarantine was very terrible for humanity, right? Or I'm sorry, the COVID was very, was very bad for our humanity, but looking at the bright side of things, you know, um, the bright side of things is a lot of these athletes are now kind of getting these life-changing opportunities. And that's kind of what happened for Jalen Turner over the weekend. Uh, Jalen Turner came out and I don't want to say he put a clinic on Brock Weaver, but he, he kind of did. He, he put it all together on the feet, uh, knocked Brock down a couple times and then took him down and submitted him on the ground, man. And that was the preliminary card, you know, and you have uh, guys like Roosevelt Roberts who kind of made a name for himself uh, during the quarantine, you know, when everything was kind of shut down and he, he loses to a, uh, an up and coming guy, Kevin crew, man. So you, you got to think uh, Kevin Kroom's stock is going to go up after that. And the prelims were really good, but man, for a card that a lot of people on the internet were kind of talking uh, really bad about, this was actually a really good card, man. Yeah, some uh, unique finishes. Uh, we talked a little bit in the uh, pre-show about what was going on with Ed Herman. That was a wild fight, but Herman ends up getting the, the controversial submission win there. He's had a wild last couple of months. Roxanne Montefiore, get, it gets a win back at flyweight. Uh, that division just kind of keeps going in circles there. 
Uh, we'll just jump straight to the – I'll let you talk about any main card fights you really liked. But uh, the, the main event, Michelle Watterson, Angela Hill, we talked about it last week. We, we really expect it to be a five-round fight. We expect it to be a razor-close fight. And, I mean, that was called right down the middle. Very back and forth. Uh, both women using just great stand-up. We've seen the karate against the Muay Thai. Watterson mixed in some takedowns. It could have been a big reason she was able to pull out the decision win. Yeah, absolutely. She uh, she mixed in the takedowns really good, and they were obviously very needed. I mean, Angela in that very first round alone, it, it kind of looked like we might get a finish from Angie. And, and uh, she fought an absolutely incredible um, game plan in those first two rounds. But once Michelle Watterson kind of put it all together, uh, started utilizing the ground a little bit, then she kind of got in Hill's head a little bit. Now Angie Hill is kind of thinking about defending the takedown. She's kind of thinking of uh, those little scrambles, you know, just little subtle things that you kind of do in the cage. You know, the way Michelle Waterson takes people's back. A lot of people forget she took Joanna Janjacek's back. Uh, I guess that was her last fight, wasn't it? And she had she had Joanna violence in, in, uh, in a lot of trouble. And, I mean, that was a fight that she was losing, but still, still she, she put up this threat, right? And so Angie Hill, she, she didn't fight quite like herself the next two rounds, but I'm still almost willing to uh, put my opinion out there that I kind of thought Angie Hill might have edged that decision out a little bit just on rounds one, two, and five. What were you, uh, you kind of thinking as, as far as scoring goes for that fight? It was a very close fight, and, and both fighters you know, have such unique styles. And a lot of people judge takedowns in a very um, unique way because sometimes when you get a takedown and the other fighter is able to pop back up pretty quickly – a lot of times you score that for the fighter that gets taken down just because you're like, well, they popped up so easily, so quickly. And, and Hill never stayed on her back long. I did love Hill uh, really putting on a show in that fifth round, made it a slugfest, made it just an all-out war, sort of a, a test to see you know, who could hang the longest. Again, th this was one of those fights where I was excited for, but kind of got more excited when I found out it was a five-round fight because I thought we learned a, a, a lot about both fighters in that fourth and fifth round. Uh, that was a close fight. I actually did score it. 48-47 uh, for Watterson. I thought she ha had just done enough to win three rounds, and, and that's just based on pure scoring. I think fight-wise, Hill probably done enough to win, you know, in terms of overall damage. But, you know, just the way we score fights, I actually had it three rounds to two for Watterson. Uh, and, you know, for Hill, this is one of those situations where I know for her it sucks to lose another close decision. But the one thing she does have going forward in terms of the way the USC sees her is, I mean, that, that's, that's her only real losses is she loses these razor-close decisions. And it's just unfortunate because, I mean, just a couple things going a different way. I mean, you know, we're talking about Angel Hill on like a six- or seven-fight winning streak. I think, you know, this was a very close fight between Watterson. I think we both agree she definitely def should have won against Gedalia. So it's such a, you know, Hill's in that tricky situation where really – her stock probably shouldn't fall any from this. And for Michelle Watterson, it's a big win to kind of put in her back pocket. But she's fought so many of the, of the top-tier women now. You know, it's, it's going to be tough to find matches for her going forward in, in terms of, you know, is she a legit top-five contender in that strawweight division? Or are they going to kind of continue to put her in sort of that, uh, that mid-tier status the in the division status. as, yeah, kind of, kind of a gatekeeper at strawweight? Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. I think uh, as, as much as Angie Hill was deserving of that win, it, Michelle Watterson also was as well. And she, I mean, she, um, she earned her brown belt that night. I mean, make no, make no mistake about it. Michelle Watterson is as tough as they come. I mean, five rounds against Ioana, now five rounds against Angie Hill. Uh, Michelle Watterson's tough, man, and I'm not taking anything away from her as far as, like, scoring goes. 
Um, I think it was two and two going into the fifth. The reason I scored the fifth round for Angie was because she was kind of pressing the action. But I also understand where everyone keeps saying, you know, the, the Waterson won the fight. Uh, and I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you. I don't think Angie Hill's uh, stock drops at all. I almost think that this kind of helps her because now she kind of has this narrative where, okay, I'm on a two-fight skid where I lost these razor-close decisions, and I've put myself out there as, like, the female cowboy, right? You know, she's fought – I think this was, like, her fourth fight in 2020. I think she officially has more fights than anybody in 2020. Um, so I don't, I don't think her stock really drops all that much. Um, as far as where you go with either of these, you know, either of these fighters, I have no idea because you, you just hit the nail on the head. Michelle Waterson truly has fought everybody at, uh, at strawweight. And Angie Hill's kind of, kind of making a name for herself, and she's you know damn near fought everybody at, at strawweight too. Um, but that was a really good main event. But you know the fight that I I probably enjoyed the most out of that main card was the the main card opener Billy Quarantillo versus uh, Kyle Nelson. Coming into that, Kyle Nelson was kind of known as this this guy with just absolute knockout power. Um, and Billy Quarantillo, man, I mean he. He definitely lost the first round. He picked it up in the second round. It was tied one-to-one going into the third. And Billy Quarantillo just came out and just hammered a one-two, clean down the middle, uh, dropped Nelson and finished him in seven seconds in the third round, man. I mean, that's that's one of those performances where I was kind of talking about a second ago. Like, because of everything going on and more eyes are drawn to the sport right now, that's the kind of performance that an up-and-coming flyweight and you know he's fifteen and two in the in the as a pro right now, uh, record wise fifteen and two, and he showed that he can hang tough, and he has these incredible skills. I mean, it's not very far fetched to believe that he could have just earned a crack at somebody within the top fifteen. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing with like Angie, um, Angie and Michelle. I mean, Michelle, uh, she had a little bit of damage to her face, and I know that Angie said that she wanted to work on her ground game and and. Um, her wrestling and her jiu-jitsu a little bit more. But even still, I mean, quick turnarounds are kind of the uh, the law of the land right now. And, and I, I mean, honestly, a quick turnaround for either of these girls or even fighting by, let's say, November, December, you know, um, it's just going to help that stock rise just a little bit more. And, and I'm all for it. Yeah, that's one of the tough things about that women's strawweight division as well. It's probably without question the most exciting women's division in the UFC. You know, you're, you're still kind of looking for, for up-and-comers, and there's no doubt there's more prospects probably in the strawweight division than any other women's division. But in terms of, of the top ten, many of these women have already fought each other, and, you know, there's no issues with doing a, a few rematches here and there. And, you know, you got to factor in as well. Uh, Jessica Andrade is moving up. She's going to 125, so you kind of take her out of the mix. Uh, it, you know, Wally Zhang and Rose Damayunas is all but complete that that's going to be the next title fight. And, and then where in the world is, is Tatiana Suarez? You know, I mean, there's really no question that she's probably, you know, right. she was right on the cusp of getting a title shot and people already calling her, you know, the women's Khabib. And, and then she disappears for a while. And, um, you know, you wonder if now she's kind of played herself out of being a title contender and if she'll need a win. To, to get back in the mix of, of possibly earning a title shot. You know, her last three wins are against Alexa Grasso, Carla Sparza, and Nita and, and Nazaroff. So, you know, where do you go with Tatiana when she's ready to fight again as well? And that, that could be where Michelle Watterson sort of finds herself back in the mix. So, uh, Strawweight's a real interesting division. 
a, a good fight card where you have uh, three veterans all on the main card with 20-plus wins and 10-plus losses. And usually uh, that usually doesn't work out very well in your favor. But on this card, it did. Bobby Green, Ed Herman, and Roxanne Montefiore all coming away with uh, wins on uh, last Saturday night. So that's interesting. Usually when you see those uh, 20-plus, 10-plus records matched up with uh, <laughs> up-and-comers or prospects, they, they usually doesn't uh, serve well. But all three guys or all three of the fighters picking up wins there. And you mentioned – uh, good night for the red corner. If you were uh, betting on corners and you put all your money in the red corner, you had a, you had a good night last weekend. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to kind of hit on what you just said with Tatiana Suarez, I know she was out with a neck surgery. She should, you're exactly right. She should be coming up, uh, getting ready for a fight soon. So I would be uh, more than happy to see her fight Angie or Michelle Watterson coming up. Um, yeah. Bobby Green was the first, uh, I guess, veteran you could say that fought on the card. Bobby Green, there's something happening where Bobby Green's getting better with age, I think. He's like a fine wine, you know what I mean? Um, he just put on this absolutely beautiful performance against Alan Patrick, and a lot of people might have not known Alan Patrick coming into this. That guy is as deadly as they get on the ground. Um, and Bobby Green just absolutely took it to him for three full rounds. And then right after that, you have Ed Herman um, against Mike Rodriguez, and man – and this is one of those fights where I literally stood in front of my TV with my hands on my head and just kind of said, what the hell is happening right now? Because, oh, that was a train wreck. So <laughs> for, for anybody that didn't watch this fight, uh, Ed Herman was dropped, right? Ed Herman had nothing for Mike Rodriguez on the feet, by the way. Uh, so Ed Herman gets dropped with a knee to the solar plex. right? So for people who don't know, it's that area right above the ribs, but not quite to the... Uh, breast. It's like a little sweet spot in there, right? Takes a knee right there. The ref, uh, and I'm going to flip the script, actually. Refs do not see everything in the cage. And Cody, I think you can kind of agree with me on this. There are, there are a lot of things that get missed just because you, you physically can't have, A, you can't have more than one ref in there at a time. But B, you can't have eyes in every single spot at right. once. Yeah. Um, okay. And so this ref happened to think he's seen um, a groin strike on Ed Herman, right? And that's why Ed went down the way he did. <clears throat> but, uh, and this is kind of one of those things where I'm going to say that we need instant replay in, in MMA, right? Because a simple look at the replay would have definitely cleared this up. Uh, but Ed Herman is dropped. He is hurt. He is moments away from being finished by Mike Rodriguez. And the ref stops it for a quote-unquote groin strike. Ed Herman, you just mentioned it, 27 wins, 14 losses, one no contest. He has been around the block. He takes a good, uh, let's say, two minutes, right, to recover. Comes back, ends up getting dropped again, right? Uh, wasn't quite finished, but, you know, going into that third round, pulls off a submission, two minutes and 41 seconds into the third round. That is absolutely bonkers, man. I mean, you nearly got finished twice. And because the ref made a mistake, which we don't know what could have happened, but the ref made a mistake that potentially altered the outcome of the fight. Um, so if I'm Mike Rodriguez, and, and I read that he was going to, um, I guess, challenge it to, to get overturned to a no contest, which I'm 100% behind, I 100% agree with. Uh, but you can't knock Ed Herman. He's, he's an absolute veteran who has taken some absolutely hard, hard shots to the head. Uh, and he made a call that he 
um, I guess he, he was happy with, you know, when he chose to, to not correct the ref or, or maybe he thought he got hit in the cup because for anyone that's never fought or never competed in any sort of sports, when you wear a cup, you can, I shouldn't really have to go through this. <laughs> um, I'm going to go through it anyway, Cody. And maybe yeah. if, we, if we have to, we'll just kind of put like a sponsor in here. <laughs> so when you have a cup, it's supposed to um, enclose around your area, right? But Cody, you, you know just as well as I do. When you're doing jujitsu, when you're doing even like stretching, there are times that your cup will kind of shift and it's very uncomfortable, right? Even, even just grappling. If, you, if you're in a, like a jujitsu super fight and you're just grappling with a cup on, it's still very uncomfortable uh, for any pressure to be around that area. So the only logical explanation for me is maybe the leg kind of hit the top of the cup and it maybe uh, pinched Ed Herman. I'm, I'm not sure. Only Ed Herman knows how that actually felt. To me, it looked like a clean shot to the solar plex. And he took his time on the stool like a, like a veteran would, you know? Yeah, and, and I've always sort of, you know, a lot of people go different ways on this because of, uh, uh, I guess, sportsmanship or, or what say. But, I mean, it's not your job as a fighter to, to, you know, if, if the ref says, hey, you get hit low, then, I mean, sometimes even in the heat of battle, in your mind, you, you might think, well, maybe I did get hit low. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's what the ref says. And, I mean, look, being, being an official is hard. It, it was one of the last things uh, that I did in my MMA circle where I kind of want to check on the boxes and give everything a go. Uh, refereeing was one that I tried, and it's difficult. I mean, there, it is really impossible to see everything. And you mentioned it having eyes everywhere. Uh, the instant replay thing is something that they have and they don't use properly. But I do get the fact that, unlike in other sports, I mean, you can't take a, a five- to seven-minute break in the middle of a, of a timed fight to, to look at something. But I don't understand why we're not to the point where we use the off refs. I mean, we have three to four refs per show. What are the other refs doing dur- during these fights? I know one checks the guy in, but what are the other two doing? They should be sitting cage side at a seat away from a judge watching the fight as if they were officiating the fight. And when we have controversial moments, I mean, why can we not speak to the other officials? That would make the most sense in the entire world for someone who has been around every single sport. If there's a controversial call in baseball, they talk among the umpires. If there's a controversial call in basketball, all the referees get together and talk about it. If there's a controversial thing in football, all the referees huddle up and make a decision. I I don't understand why we have – four, sometimes even five referees at a show, Just what in the world they do when one, I mean, I mean, are you going to catering? I mean, what, what are you doing? Like, at least have a rotation. <laughs> All right, look, you know, referee A, you're going to be the actual official for this fight. Referee B. If you B, ask, if you ask Dom Cruz, they're drinking. And they're they're drinking. Well, hey, they might be. And, <laughs> I mean, I just think that would be one of the easiest solutions. And, you know, the replay thing is, is there and if you have someone whose job is to watch the replay and immediately tell you what happened, because again, just like in football, you don't have to watch things 14 times. Did he get hit in the nuts or not? It's that simple. Watch the replay. But it, I Absolutely. think that would be a great thing to do with, with these referees. I mean, if you're going to take four to five for a show, there's better ways to utilize them. So that's one big change I, I've always thought was interesting uh, in terms of controversial things. Because, I mean, we see it all the time. There was a show here uh, locally in my home state where there was an illegal upkick, and the referee literally had no idea what had happened. He wasn't paying close enough attention, did not know it, it, what happened. And finally, someone had said, uh-oh, it was, it was an upkick, but it was illegal. And he said, all right, illegal upkick, disqualification. And nobody wow. knows what happened. So I just don't get that. I don't understand 
you know, why we don't use, you know, that kind of group, you know, why can't we talk to outsiders? And, you know, again, you shouldn't go to the other team's coach and ask questions, but you can definitely, you know, talk among the, the other referees. And I mean, that, that makes this such an easier solution than it being controversial and uh, us second guessing. And I mean, I just think that's something that MMA could definitely improve from. Cause I mean, it's now to the point where, you know, the, the pandemic's been okay because we've just seen so many real good quick finishes. But, you know, over time, we've seen so many controversial fights that could have been, you know, the, a solution could have become up with very quickly if we could have had a second opinion. Absolutely, man. And I 100% agree with what you just said. I like that idea 100%. You set, let's say, four chairs or maybe even three, but you set them around the octagon so they have three or four different views then we should avoid these certain controversies like this. Um, and, man, I'm not knocking Ed Herman at all because 27 wins, 14 losses, one no contest. The definition of a veteran, and you're, you're exactly right. I've been in those moments where I've been sparring and my partner will say, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. You know what I mean? And you're just kind of like, oh, I didn't even notice. It's not it's – not, it's the adrenaline, the adrenaline of the situation. Maybe he truly thought, okay, the ref's seen it you know, trust in the rest judgment. Um, but it's just one of those things where, man, you're right. We're having a lot of these controversies, a lot of eye pokes, a lot of groin strikes. It's just so, I don't know. It's so weird. Um, but, and you also got to mention, Justin, and you'll know this as well, cups work different. Not everybody has the same cup. And some people, oh, absolutely. some people wear, you know, the compression shorts where it's locked in real tight. Some people wear the, the big, uh, I guess, they, you know, the tie cups that really legit protect you. I mean, from every, I mean, it hurts to kick. You kick someone wearing a good metal tie cup. I mean, your foot hurts for a few days. And then you have the people who have the rinky-dink, you know, $5 Walmart cups, and they don't even secure it. They literally just put it into their, their you know, tie shorts or into their fight shorts or even just sometimes into, like, their boxers or underwear, and it's just moving around in there. So after you've thrown three head kicks, that thing is sideways, and, and then you eat a kick and it hits everything because your cup's not doing anything. So that plays a big factor, too. I mean, you know, the cup is there to protect you but not everybody wears the same cup and I mean I've even you know if you go to training a lot of guys don't wear their cups when they're doing jujitsu and things like that because I mean it is a lot of times just a bulky thing that will kind of restrict some of your movement depending on what kind of cup you have so that's always something I keep in mind too I mean we've seen some fighters get in there with just absolutely huge cups we've seen some fighters get in there and are literally adjusting their cup in between each round um, so different fighters wear, wear different cups. And a lot of times I think that plays a huge factor into in how some of these low blows factor in to the fights. Absolutely. And, and most famously, George, uh, George St. Pierre versus Michael Bisping. Do you remember Michael Bisping took his cup out? Out, yeah. Uh, in the, in the, was that the second round going into yeah. the second round? Yeah. Took, yeah, I got rid of it. Yeah, and then we've seen guys like Darren Till who have notoriously uh, larger Large. cups that they're, <laughs> they're adjusting, you know, and Conor McGregor. I remember everybody used to make fun of Conor McGregor. Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, every cup is different, and they, they serve the same purpose, and that's to protect. Um, it's just it's, – it's so weird that uh, we don't have access to the instant replay, but it's one of those things where maybe this is going to jumpstart that movement, you know? Um, yeah, that – That'll be – I mean, it needs to happen. I mean, we're, they're already a little bit behind. I mean, every sport has it now. It's crazy that the UFC and, and MMA in general is really the last one to jump on this. Absolutely, yeah. Um, after the Ed Herman controversy, though, we got another veteran. And we got Roxanne Modafferi, who uh, you and I spoke of before this. And 
and she was taking on our girl Andrea Lee, Andrea KGB. Man, that was one of those one of those fights that's just kind of razor close and and uh, big moments. You know, when you're going back and forth like that, big moments win rounds, and, and it comes down to you're fighting not really against your opponent but against the clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's one of those really, really good, uh, gritty kind of fights. It was a gritty performance by Roxanne. And, and me and you've kind of talked about this. She has these really good performances where, okay, she looks like she could be a, a top 10, top five flyweight. And then she has these moments where uh, I'm just bewildered standing in front of my TV. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, who, who trains her? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's one of those styles that she's, yeah, it's a lot like Ben Askren or even let's even say Dom Cruz, who have these really awkward styles that they they cater to their like to them and to their style and it, it works out. And you know, Roxanne got a big win. It was a three round um a three round decision. You know, she she got the win. Um, you know, my hat's off to her. I don't really know where you put Roxanne though in this in this flyweight division as it's kind of unfolding. Um I, I truly don't know. Maybe Alexa Grasso, you know? Yeah, I mean, you have so many options with Roxy. And I mean, you got to think, just looking at her record the last three years, her next fight will 100% be a loss because she just trades back and forth. So she's an interesting fighter. I mean, she has her own style. There, there's obviously, you know, she, she's not one of these fighters that's really adding new things to her game. It's just her style. And a lot of times those awkward fighters in, in some fights can use that awkwardness to throw off the game plan of an opponent. Other times that awkwardness literally gets you just outclassed and beat up. And she trains, you know, with John Wood and has an, an excellent team full of, of women uh, straw weights or excuse me, with women flyweights. So she trains, you know, actually with other women in her weight class, but still yet, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, that's just Roxanne. She's fought this way since, I mean, very early in her career. It's it just sort of her style. So I think she's the ideal gatekeeper in this women's flyweight division where, you know, whatever you want to do with her next, whether it's someone who's kind of on the rise or someone who's, you know, looking to contend, you got a lot of different options with whatever you want to do with Roxy. And uh, uh, the only fight we've not talked about, uh, Oatman, uh, Oatman Azar getting the quick knockout of a combo worthy, you know, worthy getting kind of a chance to, to step up into a big co-main event role, but take it on just a, a power puncher. And it only took 90 seconds for that to really come into play. Yeah, absolutely. You, you didn't by chance hear me cough just now, did you? I did not. Okay, good. I muted the mic. I, I'm always so, so paranoid that one of our fans is going to tweet us and say, Hey, you assholes. <laughs> um, no, Otman, Otman, Ozotary picked up a huge win over Kama Worthy and Kama stood up at the end of the fight and he was kind of protesting the stoppage. Uh, it was a good stoppage. There's yeah. a lot of times where you get hit with these shots that you either don't see coming or you, you don't expect them to be as quick as they are. And they, they drop you, they knock the equilibrium off. Uh, very good performance from Ottman at lightweight too, which is turning out to be one of, if not the single um, most fun uh most exciting divisions i don't want to say fun because sometimes you know yeah <laughs> the most exciting exciting divisions because we have a lot of stuff playing out uh at lightweight um it was a really good performance he, he he had a very good knockout and a very good standout performance um and coming coming into this fight fans who might have not known him are now going to know him as oh he's the guy that knocked that that guy out in a minute and 30 seconds you know what i mean yeah. he's this was a standout performance for him that he definitely needed in a, a division that he, you know, you need standout performances now. Um, 
because um, the top five, top ten at lightweight is so stacked, you have to have these performances. And I think he went right out there and, and did it. And if I'm not mistaken, he's a training partner of Justin Gaethje. Am I, yes. am I correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he trains with by far probably the toughest and grittiest lightweight on the planet, you know. Um, and he really, you know, he really put on a performance and he, he showed that and he showcased his skills. So I can't wait to see uh, where he goes next. Yeah, a lot of good things from this weekend's card. And one of the biggest things that, uh, as I've said, was that he's he's wanting to fight on Fight Island. So that's always a good way to get in the UFC's uh, good graces. But, uh, again, one of those fight cards that anybody that has ESPN Plus that has all that can go and check out the replay because I'm sure, uh, like many people, probably looking at some other sports or, or playoff stuff and uh, didn't get a chance to check that bike out. Uh, that probably won't be the, the factor for this weekend, the final show in Vegas. We're going to talk more about that coming up first though. I uh, just want to jump on this real quick, Josh, because this is something you had brought up to me and uh, I've, I've been looking at it all day. It's just been a busy couple of weeks for Daniel Cormier. Uh, you, you retire and think that everything's going to slow down for you. And then he has a daughter. He has the birth of his daughter uh, then he reveals that he tested positive for COVID-19 while preparing for his UFC title fight with Stipe Miocic, uh, pretty close to that fight. So crazy that, that didn't come out uh, before, you know, because, I mean, that would have been a real big problem. But I think the Cormier camp had made it very clear that this was this was Daniel Cormier's decision. He was all in, and he was going to, you know, quarantine himself but still work out and get to the fight and didn't want it to be canceled. And then also reveals that there is uh, some preliminary talk with him possibly – uh, doing some work with uh, pro wrestling, you know, once he kind of gets relaxed and spends a little time at home and able to travel a bit more freely, he would like to jump over there. So, uh, yeah, how about that? Retire from MMA and then really have one of the biggest story weeks of your career. Uh, definitely a, a busy time. But, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on everything going on with Daniel Cormier, especially, you know, revealing that, you know, during this crazy time, we've seen so many fights scrapped from, you know, big fights that just aren't happening to, we talked about, you know, the Glover and, uh, Tiago Santos fight now postponed for a second time due to COVID-19 positive tests. Uh, what, what do you make of the fact that the Cormier camp, and uh, I would like to say probably even the UFC kind of kept this one uh, a little bit more hush-hush? It's, it's one of those things. So I was absolutely devastated when I got on Twitter and I seen a headline that said Daniel Cormier had contracted COVID-19 during his training camp for Stipe because now – uh, a, if you're Stipe, or even if you're DC, this almost looks like, and I hate, I hate to say this, Cody, I hate that these words are coming out of my mouth. It sounds like an excuse almost, right? Um, when you look further into it, though, and, and we've watched DC's career play out, and we've seen him be put in these hard, these absolutely tough moments. There is no quit in DC, and I think that's the reason. I would almost be willing to bet he kept it from the UFC as well. He probably quarantined the 14 days. We're in 2020. We have the power of Skype, FaceTime, Zoom. Uh, in, there's endless um, possibilities, right? I would imagine that DC has uh, probably a very decent setup kind of gym at his own house, uh, probably with a heavy bag, probably with, with some weights, et cetera. Uh, so let's just say taking 14 days off, it, it almost could have been good, you know, other than – the health, uh, you know, the health factors that COVID-19 would, would plague somebody with, it almost might be good that he kind of did take a step back and maybe let his body recover for two weeks and, and just do, you know, cardio, maybe hit the bag a little bit. Um, it was just, I really hate this for Daniel's legacy because now people are going to kind of have this weird 
uh, connotation of that fight. And I hate it for Stipe's legacy because now it just puts this, this weird taste in everybody's mouth when you read that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people could have, or a lot of people would have probably pulled out, but for Daniel Cormier to stay in the fight, um, and it, as long as he done it safely, right? If he walked in fight night with COVID, which I don't think could have been possible because they test quite frequently. Yeah. Um, then that's just blatant negligence. And if he was to go to the gym and train around, you know, all the, the people that he's around uh, during a fight camp, then that's blatant negligence right there. Yeah. And so, I, I will, I will say real quick, Josh, that this test that he tested positive on July 8th. So it was more than a month before the event. He had uh, one of those uh, special rings that tells you different. It's, it's like a score you get. In the terms URA. Of, yeah, or, or whatever it is that kind of just lets you know your body's readiness. And he noticed a drop and went to the doctor July 8th. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of times the headlines can kind of lead people to believe that it was closer than that. But, I mean, he still had a month. So I, I really think – and one other thing I did want to point out too, he said before he even started talking about the situation, quote, this is not an excuse at all. Miocic won the fight and he fought beautifully. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I don't, I've seen a lot of people saying this is an excuse. This is an excuse. You know, that's why I wanted to kind of cover that up really quickly. Daniel Cormier has been in some situations, um, whether it's his personal life, which I don't think I, um, am the one to, I guess, talk about his personal life outside of the cage, but Daniel, uh, has faced, uh, adversity and tragedy in his personal life and, and, the toughest test that he's he's had in the octagon. I mean, you look at John Jones, you look at Stipe. I don't think he's going to make an excuse to get away from from those tough moments because DC is one of those people that almost rises to the occasion. You know what I mean? The the DC that we seen fight John Jones the second time, if had that been a five round fight, could have potentially dethroned the quote unquote greatest greatest uh, mixed martial artist of all time. Uh, so DC does rise to these occasions, and I think I'm glad you just said that. Um, that it was a month away from the fight. And you, you said uh, when you, when you kind of broke this down that he, he quarantined himself for 14 days. Uh, so as long as he wasn't around anybody, he wasn't being blatantly negligent of the situation or of the uh, disease, then more power to him, man. That just shows the fucking toughness of Daniel Cormier, man. That's he, he's, that's a tough guy, man. Absolutely tough guy. Um, as far as that ring goes, I, I seen that the UFC entered like a, um, like a sponsorship with him. It's Ura or Aura or Aura actually sounds probably, yeah, <laughs> probably more correct. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an, an Aura ring that is, uh, tracking your, fine. I'm just saying it, your readiness score in terms of, uh, how, how, how you are supposed to approach each day. If it's low, you're, you're supposed to take a break. It's supposed to, it's supposed to allow you or, or stop you from overtraining in whatever you do, whether you're a fighter or just someone who works out a lot or runs, it, it's supposed to kind of let you know when, when your body needs a break. Uh, no, no clue how, how all that works, but uh, you know how the UFC is. They see something, they jump on it. If it don't work, they'll just drop it pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, the, the stuff with Cormier is crazy. I mean, you got to think that, there has been a ton of stuff in his career and, and he's always going to be, 
in a weird way, one of the most controversial great fighters in UFC history just because of who he's associated with in terms of who he's fought. I mean, you're always going to have his name brought up because his only losses are to the greatest light heavyweight and the, one of the greatest heavyweights in UFC history. So that's pretty wild to, to think about as, you know, Cormier himself, not controversial. I mean, he's really just as, as pure as it, it comes in terms of what he's done in MMA and UFC and in his wrestling career before. But, uh, you know, I, I hope really, you know, this is uh, everything I've read in terms of the uh, testing positive for COVID-19 and, and him doing him getting back with Ariel and them starting their show back up. Uh, he seems pretty content with retirement and, uh, you know, 22 and three, you know, I, I love seeing guys retire with records like that. There's no reason to get in there and start finding these up and comers and things like that and try to keep proving you belong. You know, he's, he can retire as, as literally, you know, one of the greatest of all time, uh, you know, the losses to guys like John Jones and Steve Miocic are nothing to hang your head at, especially in terms of, you know, the fact that he had beaten Stipe once and, you know, John Jones had always had some question marks and asterisks around his names in terms of their fights. And, uh, you know, for, for, for Daniel Cormier, there are, there are a ton of things for him to get into. I know he's uh, a big pro wrestling fan, so he's definitely been talking to them about doing some stuff. Obviously, you mentioned him earlier being a commentator for the UFC. Now he'll have more time to really focus on that, especially if you know Joe Rogan slowly kind of starts to, to fade out and only want to do the, the bigger shows. So I, I think Daniel Cormier is one of these guys that you know we may never see fight again, but he'll definitely always be around. Uh, I can even see Cormier, Cormier making the transition to some out-of-combat uh, stuff. You can see him doing some other sports things and getting on board. I mean, I could see Cormier you know, hosting like a game show or something somewhere down the line. He's got that kind of personality. <laughs> I uh, I did not mean to kind of ramble there for a moment. I forgot you said uh, about the pro wrestling. I like that idea. I like that Henry Cejudo was trans, you know, transitioning over for a moment. Uh, you know, Cain Velasquez. Who do you remember that really famous guy? He was on the Ultimate Fighter, and then he he moved over to pro wrestling. I'm trying to think of his name. It's Matt, Matt Riddle. Riddle. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he, uh, you know, he's kind of the poster boy for it. He kind of started the trend. And I really like that because, uh, and I'm not a pro wrestling fan, but I've watched a lot of pro wrestling documentaries. And I know that you can legitimately get hurt in pro wrestling. But the fact that you're not getting punched in the face, you're not getting kicked in the head, uh, and you're making as, like, as much or potentially more. Oh, a lot more. Yeah, so that's good for you, man. And I, I really like Daniel Cormier. Uh, and you look at his record, man. You know, you, you mentioned a moment ago, it's 22 and 3, which to a lot of people, they're going to say, oh, okay, that's not, you know, he's not been around that long. Look at who he's fought, man. His last win was an up and coming, a surging Derek Lewis. And he, he submitted him uh, in the second round. You know, before that, you know, he, he KO'd Stipe, Vulcan Ozdemir when Uzdemir was coming up the, the ladder and was kind of the new, the new thing on the block. You know, Anthony Johnson twice. He beat uh, Anderson Silva. A lot of people forget about the, the Daniel Cormier-Silva fight. Yeah. Uh, Gustafson, you know, when Gustafson was really surging. Dan Henderson, Roy Nelson, Frank Mir, uh, Silva and Barnett. I mean, he, he's been around the block and he's done more than enough, in my eyes at least, which I know – my opinion doesn't mean shit to anybody, but in my eyes, that is one of those guys who's had an absolute storybook career and deserves it deserves the world in retirement. But before I jump off the Daniel Cormier situation, you brought up a second ago, Ariel in DC. Uh, 
fuck you guys. You're taking everything I worked for, motherfuckers. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But for real, me and me and Cody are going to be bigger than Ariel and DC or Ariel and the bad boy or bad yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're coming for that. Yeah, Ariel's got too many shows. He needs to kind of, he needs to stick to one and, and kind of get off the block, man. He's taking up too, too many shows, too many spots right now. But uh, did you, know, you he, like the Nate Diaz call out? I did. I, I was yeah. not expecting that. I came out left. I thought Nate, I thought Nate jumped on. I had to check my Zoom participants for a minute. I thought he hopped <laughs> on the call. And uh, hey, before we move to the next show, let's talk about that. No, that's something we not talking about. What do you make of hearing about the uh, Diaz brothers getting back in the gym and getting back to their their old training ways? Is that something to uh, pay attention to, or, or just kind of something that'll go up and smoke, if you will? Um, I do not like a Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal rematch. Just because of the way the first fight went, it didn't really look like Nate was fast enough or sharp enough to really deal with anything Jorge had on the feet. And for the most part, if, if Jorge doesn't want to go to the ground with you, he's not going to. You know, you see him kind of kind of playing um, – kind of playing with Nate almost. He would he would jump into guard but only to land a couple strikes and kind of back away really quickly. I just I don't I don't like that rematch. As far as Nick Diaz coming back, let me tell you, Nick was one of the very first fighters I ever watched when I first started uh uh training MMA or, or being a fan of MMA. And I myself am also a Gracie Jiu Jitsu fighter. So in that regard, two oh nine for life when it's Nick Diaz. Nate, you know, whatever. I'm just kidding. Um, I like, I like this Nick Diaz though, that we're seeing in 2020, you know, I think he had a substance abuse problem that I think, I mean, as far as I can tell on, on his social media, it looks like he's kind of handled it and he's moving forward. He looked really lean. Um, I'd like to see maybe some training footage, but I think that's kind of the, the mystery of the Diaz brothers and, and that's kind of a benefit for them. Um, so Cody, with this being said, I'm all for a Nick Diaz comeback. If here's here's a big if, if we can see the potential of a Nate Diaz, or I'm sorry, a Nick Diaz versus uh, Carlos Condit, right? Who you know Carlos is also on the 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 outer banks of his career, if you will. Hmm. Or yeah. if we could get a potential Robbie Lawler rematch, that would, I'm all for that. Wow. The the next two names that I'm going to throw out there might be a little left field, right? Dan Hardy has been talking about making a comeback. I would absolutely love Nick Diaz versus Dan Hardy co-main event in 2020 or 20, you know, 2021. Uh, and I would also, this, this is absolutely super left field, but I just happened to kind of think of it. And I was like, Oh, that's like, that's the fight. Uh, El Diamante. Put Nick Diaz in there with Dustin Poirier at 170. We've never seen Dustin Poirier at 170. Uh, Dustin's kind of made uh, he's kind of alluded to the fact that he would jump to 170 you know Dustin doesn't have a fight right now and he's talking about wanting legacy fights Dustin Poirier uh, aside from Justin Gaethje might be probably the most violent lightweight on the planet and so I'm all for I'm all for giving uh, Dustin Poirier the biggest paydays possible just because I think he kind of mentioned something about only wanting to fight maybe four or five more times Um, so if you're if you're not going to do um, a Dan Hardy or maybe a Carlos or a Robbie situation, you know, let, let, uh, you know, let one of these guys who's, who's gritty as tough as they come, you know, let one of them guys get a big payout, which a Nick Diaz fight is always going to be a huge payout for anybody. Um, and I even really like the, the oddball chance that we could potentially get Nick Diaz versus Colby Covington. 
boom, mic yeah. drop. Yeah, I mean, you got a lot of options there, and uh, you know, I, I love your I love your first couple uh, ideas too of Nick fighting kind of the guys that are that he has history with, and not throwing him right back in the top ten. You know, when Nick those pictures first came out, and everybody started talking about Nick training again, people threw out. You know, I, I know the biggest one. Will was uh, you know do do Jorge and Nick Diaz like you know I, I don't really know if, if that's much different than than Jorge and Nate so to speak and you know the Jorge thing's driving me crazy because I mean does he not have any intentions of getting back in title contention? You know, obviously a lot of people, including myself, even a little, kind of gave him a pass with what happened uh, against Usman because it was a bit short notice. Uh, well, not a bit; it was very short notice. And, you know, you wonder how that fight would look on a full camp, but I do think he should fight at least, you know, one more time before we try to do that again, which would make perfect sense for him to go fight someone like Leon Edwards. But, you know, Jorge's sort of back in this mindset where, well, I, I still have the, the BMF title. Like, no, man, that, that's not real. Like, you're, that, you know, you don't defend that. You don't do – I mean, you know, are you a contender or are you on kind of the, the Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz division – where the fight has to make, you know, 100% money sense. And that's something the UFC has gone away from. And you wonder if that's where Nick Diaz is as well. Is Nick Diaz, if he is really looking at a comeback, is he looking at fights that are, you know, big-time money fights? Or would he be willing to, to rematch someone like uh, Carlos Condit, who, as you mentioned, definitely on the uh, downward slope of his career, Robbie Lawler, downward slope of his career. Uh, but definitely, you know, something to keep an eye on, especially with uh, – some different things going on. And, and don't forget, Nick also did fight at 185. So that could also be something that they look at. I know the test cut was to like 175 or something just to see how he would drop weight. And that all was successful. So uh, again, it's fun to talk about. It's a little fantasy matchmaking though, whenever you're talking about a Diaz brother, because uh, it's unpredictable. You know, that's something that could pop up overnight, something that may uh, never <laughs> kind of originate or something that will happen get you excited and then uh, really just fall apart very quickly especially now that we're we're doing all kinds of different tests you know not just drug tests and the UFC is uh, set to go in a different direction with drug testing here soon and you, you never know how how sporadic that could be so a, a lot of things to sort of keep your eye on uh, going forward over the next uh, I would say probably six to, to 12 months in terms of the Diaz brothers uh, but Josh let's uh, let's jump a, let's jump ahead let's jump to this weekend Final card from Las Vegas before we return to Fight Island. And the UFC has kind of went a little crazy with it. Uh, there's, there's no question that they put on some good shows. Uh, but the last couple of shows, you know, they, they've not really stacked, so to speak. They've kind of been put together pretty quickly just to have a card. You know, the Overeem Sakai card and then this card uh, both had injuries and it sort of fell apart. And the UFC sort of said, well, you know what, here's a, an almost pay-per-view style card for the final show in Vegas uh, it's UFC Fight Night, Covington versus Woodley. Uh, this fight probably should have happened a couple years ago, but just never originated. Here it is now. It's a, I don't know. It's maybe not the fight that people wanted to see in terms of how heated it is and, you know, being a contender fight. Doesn't really have that same feel now, but what you have is two fighters trying to stay relevant. Colby Covington has, out of all the fighters who've ever fought Kamar Usman, there's no doubt he looked the best out of all of them. And for Tyron Woodley, I mean, his career is sort of on the line in this fight. I mean, you have to think if he goes out here and gets beat up by Colby Covington, I mean, that could be the end of Tyron Woodley as a uh, maybe as a fighter, period, but definitely as a perennial top 10 guy in the welterweight division. So no title on the line, of course, but 
it's still a really big fight between two guys who uh, just quite simply can't stand each other. Do you remember a couple of years ago, uh, if you were to lose three fights in the UFC, you were cut. Yeah, you were out. They had an entire season of the Ultimate Fighter for guys who literally they didn't make it on the Ultimate Fighter or they were in the, the UFC and they had three fights and they were done. And Tyron Woodley's kind of in this position now where he's, you know, he lost his title to Kamaru Usman. Okay, this is, this is understandable because Usman essentially has propelled himself to the top of the lightweight food chain. Um, then you go on, you fight Gilbert Burns, who, uh, you know, due to quarantine and, and him being active, made an absolute name for himself, uh, jumps up in the rankings. You know, you take on Tyron Woodley, we're, we're all kind of going. And I, Cody, I think you can probably agree with me on this. We were probably all thinking, all right, this is going to be violent. But if T. Wood lets those hands go, you know, this, this could be, you know, this could be good for Tyron Woodley. And he got absolutely shut out. Um, so there's two performances back to back where, where Tyron almost looks like, um, and I hate to use this comparison. He looks like, uh, like a Robbie Lawler or a Carlos Condit, you know, these guys who have just had these violent careers and now they're just kind of on the downslope where they look like they're just getting outclassed, not only on the feet, but on the ground as well. Um, then you mix in the fact that he's taking on Colby Covington. Who Colby, uh, you know, he had that loss against Usman, who you're, you're absolutely right. Colby had the closest fight with Usman. Um, and in my mind, he was almost, you know, he was probably winning that fight against yeah. Usman. Um, but, you know, he takes the loss to Usman. Okay, this doesn't – I mean, it, it probably hurt his stock just because of how he is outside of the octagon. As far as rankings or – Vegas betting odds, this doesn't hurt your stock that much. Because like I said, Kamaru Usman has propelled himself to the top of this light or this welterweight division. Um, so now, and the reason I brought up Colby's outside of the cage antics is because with, with, when you take a loss in the UFC, let's take Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal just lost to Usman. Okay, it's not that big of a deal because he still has a lot of name value. Colby Covington had a lot of name value coming into that fight. The fact that he lost the fight to Usman, definitely, I mean, it definitely hurt his stock more than the average fighter just because of how reckless he was talking outside of the cage. Right. Which is why I'm 100% with you. This is a must win for both guys. Absolutely, 100%. Both guys have to have this. For Colby Covington, this could be potentially uh, the nail in the coffin. You know, he said a lot of reckless shit about Dana, about the UFC about the welterweight division, uh, just everything, right? He even, you know, got kicked out of American top team or left American top team, whatever you want to say, what you want to say. Um, for Tyron Woodley, you know, you're on a, a two fight skid. You need, you need this win, man. Truthfully, I hate to say this. I think that we're going to have a repeat of Usman, uh, Usman and Woodley. 100%. I think that because Colby, Colby does one thing uh, absolutely stupendous. That's his chain wrestling. He done it against Robbie Lawler. Uh, he done it against, I mean, he didn't show it against uh, Kamaru Usman, but every fight leading up to that, you know, Rafael Dos Anjos, Damian Maya, just he puts together one takedown off of another, off of another, off another. It's absolutely smothering. We've seen that that's kind of T Woods' uh, kryptonite is people who can take him down and control him. Uh, when people think of Tyron Woodley, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is those big-ass muscles, dude. That, that takes a lot of oxygen. Yep. 
operate that body and all those muscles. And I just think that Colby kind of has the perfect recipe of, of jab, 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 takedown. All right, got stuff. We're back up, but we're in a clinch situation now. I'm going to grind on you in the clinch, clinch strike, clinch strike, takedown. I just think that he has the absolute perfect recipe for T Wood. Um, so I'm going to have to pull for Colby. Uh, I hate to do it because I don't want T Wood to retire, but it, it might be time. You're exactly right. What's wild is when people talk about Tyron Woodley, they think he's lost like 12 fights in a row. He's literally lost two fights in a row. And it's just the fact that with Woodley, I don't even know if he's, if he, if it's just he's had so many big fights, it's just sometimes he doesn't. He lacks a little bit of confidence, which is crazy because you hear him Lack in interviews. Yeah, you, you hear him in interviews and you would never think of it, but it just seems he sometimes is a little bit hesitant to pull that trigger, which is wild because in the early part of his career, that's what really brought him to the you know top tier of the welterweight division was the fact that he had that crazy knockout power. The knockout against Robbie Lawler was just terrifying. I mean, Robbie literally came into that fight with you know that that new style he had stopped sparring he he wasn't getting knocked out anymore wasn't getting chin checked anymore him and carlos condit literally tried to kill each other for 25 minutes and neither guy went down and from that point forward both guys just went down with the touch uh, you know a really one solid punch so for woodley and covington josh i bring this to you you know kobe has that that superb wrestling as you mentioned but he didn't like kamara usman now Granted, Usman also had a wrestling background, so I think both guys are said, well, you know, let's not even test the waters there. Let's see who's the better striker. Both guys had confidence in themselves, which led to a great, you know, great five-round fight. Um, is, is there any chance that Covington, in his uh, egotistical ways, says, I feel like I can outstrike Woodley. I feel like I can make a statement by not wrestling Woodley for, for three, four, five rounds, but by going in there and, try, and trying to knock him out, I mean, you know, Willie got teed off on against Gilbert Burns, and Burns is a, a world-class grappler with heavy hands, but Burns really worked Tyron Woodley, and uh, Covington's got some some very underrated striking. Absolutely. Covington, Covington's hands, man, they're they're clean is what they are. They're they're A lot of people are going to say they're basic, you know, one, two, and three, but he does them so well, and they complement that wrestling style. Um, you're bringing up Tyron Woodley's heavy hands. Do you remember when he absolutely annihilated Jay Huron and just sent him flying? Oh, yeah. I mean, Josh Koscheck just crumbled him. Uh, Tyron Woodley does have absolute power in his hands, and I do not think Colby, as egotistical as Kobe, Colby is, I don't think he wants any of that because – and, you know, I hate to I hate to kind of bring it up. Usman didn't really want any part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Gilbert Burns, man, he's on a different level. But Gilbert also controlled the fight on the feet and on the ground. I mean, it, it, it takes somebody, uh, Wonder Boy, right? Wonder Boy almost had no choice but to keep that fight standing. And, and you've kind of seen what happened to him, right? And he's a seasoned striker, an absolute kickboxing legend, world champion, um, and you kind of see what Woodley done to him with that power. So I, I don't think Colby is going to risk that, especially knowing how important this fight is uh, to his, his potential, like potentially his job. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it almost feels like, and you, you're right on the nail. I mean, Tyron hasn't lost that many fights, two in a row. Um, but it's still, it's kind of, it's how he's losing them. It's, yeah. you know, you mentioned he, he lacks this confidence. He almost looks lackadaisical. Like he, uh, like he doesn't really want to press the action. He's afraid to throw 
anything more than a jab, you know? And, and I think a lot of that was because of who he was fighting, but he's going to, he's going to kind of approach this that same way in my mind. He's going to approach it with a, okay, if I overextend on anything, I'm leaving my waist, I'm leaving my legs completely open. Um, so I just, that's, that's what I'm saying, man. I don't think, I don't think Colby chances it. Um, as of right now, I'm probably 70, 30 for Colby and I'm holding on to that 30 for Tyron Woodley in the event that he just lets those hands go and just throws a huge overhand that just knocks Colby into DC and, and puts his head on Trump's desk. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I just, I'm so worried that he, he knows that, that Colby's wrestling is there and that's why he's not going to pull the trigger. Yeah, and I mean, th- there is some interesting, you know, aspects of this fight in terms of how things could go. You know, Willie definitely does also have, you know, the ability to wrestle. You know, he's not, he's, you mentioned Kryptonite, and he has, you know, had trouble with guys who, or not even really a lot of trouble with guys who want to wrestle. He just seems to make him very hesitant. You mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, going back to the, the Michelle Waters and Angela Hill fight, if you show the ability to take someone down, it changes the way they strike with you. So that's a big factor in terms of, you know, if Whitley's had trouble letting his hands go in the past against guys who could take him down, I mean, it's definitely going to be challenging against Colby Covington. Uh, the one thing I will point out, though, is over time, historically, fighters who suffer jaw injuries usually have a hard time fully recovering, no matter how long ago it was. Uh, Colby got his jaw broken pretty bad in, in December by Usman. So just one thing to kind of keep an eye on in terms of, you know, if, if, if that fight kind of breaks out to a bit of a brawl, because I mean, the, these two guys don't like each other. We've seen in the past that uh, sometimes these rivalry fights don't quite live up to the hype. Sometimes these two guys, two guys will go in there and throw caution to the wind and just brawl. So that'll be a real fun fight to watch a five round main event, but uh, this is not a one can fight I, card. Can I add to that? Can yeah, I, go ahead. I completely forgot about the jaw being broke. And you know what I'm kind of thinking, you know, you know, when a, when an athlete suffers a nose injury, they're a little bit hesitant after that. Oh yeah. What what if Colby's the same way? What if he's a little gun shy now? And so he just, that's the reason he chain wrestles or, or or maybe he comes out and he's a little skittish, you know, and and maybe that wakes up T wood. That is one of those fights, man, where I I can say all day long, Colby's going to win, or I can say all day long, T wood's going to win. This is one of those fights where I literally have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, there's just just definitely a lot of different aspects. And, you know, these rivalry fights always have just – I mean, you just never really know what could happen. But not a one-fight card, Josh. There's a lot of good fights. We'll just sort of uh, make our way down the main card because it's a great – I mean, this is really one of the best full main cards the UFC's had. Six fights, and all of them have some real, like – just interesting aspects to each of them. Uh, the Coleman event's a really good one. They kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone literally just had a baby a week ago. I, I had a baby four weeks ago, and I'm still not ready to fight. So Cowboy's on a whole other level there. Uh, he's going to be fighting Nico Price. And, I mean, these are two guys that are just just made to brawl. You know, there's not a lot of game planning. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, very good, you know, game plans or, or putting together different pieces or, or scout film. Uh, these two guys want to fight. It is a little bit of a worrisome fight for Donald Cerrone as he is getting a bit a little bit long in the teeth. But you know, for Cerrone, it seems like also anytime we really start to doubt him, he seems to just somehow put together some things. Uh, but Nico Price, one of these guys that I mean, he's he's a killer, man. He can put you down in a lot of different ways. He's weird, you know those up yeah. kick knockouts. Those <laughs> yeah. up kick knockouts, man. They're they're underrated, really. And Nico Price has kind of made a name for himself. I mean. 
you know, you can look at the fight against uh, Vicente Luque. You know, Luque is one of my sleepers at welterweight, man. I, I absolutely love Vicente Luque. Nico done fairly well against Vicente Luque. Um, before that, James Vick. You know, James Vick was having some some very good luck against Nico Price. And, and Nico, that up kick is just so sneaky, man. It's so powerful. But Don Cerrone is one of those guys, you know, every time we count him out, he kind of comes back and he has a great performance. Um, I really can't pick between this one. I'm, I'm going to have to go with my guy Cerrone, though, just for the simple fact that, uh, you know, Nico Price has had 19 fights. This is going to be his 20th fight. Uh, I just think that Donald Cerrone is going to kind of bring a little bit of that veteran grit and that veteran toughness uh, to this fight. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's going to be it, – it probably – Probably go to a decision, but um, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with Cerrone on this one. You know, I I always it's a bad habit. You know, I love Donald Cerrone. He's one of my favorite all time guys to watch. But anytime we start to look at some of these matchmakings, I always get worried. Uh, but Nico Price is one of these guys. You mentioned 20 fights, but man, those last three have been you know hard oh. to watch. You know, the Jeff Neal fight, you know, was just a battle. Neal ends up getting the finish in the second round. And then Tim Means goes out there, and those two guys are, I mean, it was a five, a one-round fight that should have been, that you know, on fight of the year list. I mean, those two guys literally threw just haymakers. They took turns rocking each other. Tim Means was landing some of the crisp, you know, jab-hook combos I've ever seen. Rock Nico Price four or five times in about a minute. And then out of nowhere, Nico just lands the perfect shot and puts Tim Means down. And then uh, Nico Price, his one fight this year against Vicente Luque. That's pure violence. We know how that goes. Luque picks up that win. And the crazy thing is, Josh, is that fight was just in May. So Nico Price, a pretty quick turnaround off a third round uh, TKO loss to Vicente Luque. I mean, that was literally May 9th. So we're talking, you know, just a, just a little over four months. And, I mean, I, I would love to see, you know, a fighter like Nico Price take a little bit more time to recover after a fight like that. But, he, you know, he's kind of on that that Donald Cowboy Cerrone diet where, I mean, it, it, you just don't want to be out the game too long, and especially at a time right now where you want to stay active, you want to keep fighting. For Cowboy Cerrone, you know, we, we know his MO. He's uh, fought Conor McGregor this year, had the fight against Anthony Pettis this year. He's, he's just an active guy. He's a busy guy. This will be a, uh, a different style fight. You know, he's going to – I don't want to say take a step down in competition, but he'll take a step down in name value. I mean, his last couple fights have been what? Justin Gagey, Tony Ferguson, Ally Quinna, Conor McGregor, Anthony Pettis. So you go from that group to Nico Price. I think that'll make a lot of people sort of write Nico off. But uh, just that's going to be one of those wild fights. I actually think this is a fight where we could see a finish. I, I just really don't really know which way I want to lean yet because, like you, it's hard to bet against Cowboy Cerrone, especially when he's fought the who's who of literally everybody across two weight classes. Uh, but, you know, Nico Price a little bit younger probably got a little bit more pop in his punches and, and kicks than, than Cowboy will. That's going to be a tough fight in the co-main. Yeah, and, and Cowboy's just so technical. You know, he, Nico's kind of a brawler where, where Cowboy's really technical. And, and you kind of brought up some of these last fights, you know, Cowboy looked good against Pettis. You know, that Conor McGregor fight, I'm just going to completely try to forget it ever happened. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. But, uh, but you know, he, he looked good against Pettis, you know. And before that, uh, you know, Justin Gaethje, it's hard absolutely hard to look good against Justin Gaethje. I mean, take the two guys that have beat Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez. They, it's hard to look good against Justin, uh, Justin Gaethje, but Cowboy's kind of putting it together uh, on the feet before, before Justin sat him down, you know, before that, you know, Ally Aquinta was surging and, and 
and Cowboy just kind of came and stopped the uh, what little bit of hype that that real estate Al had. I mean, Cowboy's one of those guys that's he's super technical. He's always training, you know. Um, and I, I think, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. He's active. And I think that that bit of being active or being more active might kind of play off in his favor. Um, let's the next fight, man. This is probably one of the most talked about fights on the card. Uh, Kamzat Chemaev against Gerald Mearshart. Where are you leaning, man? I mean, I, I look, Gerald Mearshart's got a chip on his shoulder, man, and he should. I mean, this is one of those situations. We talked a lot about this in the last podcast, but – you know, this is a, a fight for Mearshart to really shut a lot of people up. And it also will really give him a boost in his name value because, I mean, there's a lot of people already penciling in Shemaev for not just that Damian Maya fight, but for really any fight. I mean, people are already talking about, you know, if he runs through Mearshart Maya, then maybe he should be the next guy to fight the winner of Adesanya and Paulo Costa. I mean, that there's people who have that mindset or people saying, you know, if Usman runs through Gilbert Burns, maybe we should just go ahead and put Shemaev in there. That's crazy to me, but I also I also have never seen Chavayev in any trouble. I've also seen Chavayev run absolutely freight train through two guys. Now, two guys that aren't the same fighter as Gerald Mearshart, who we've seen a lot of and who's been in a lot of great fights. Uh, but it, it's it's hard. I do really like Gerald Mearshart. I've seen Mearshart fight in person. I've seen Mearshart fight many fights. Some he's looked very good. Uh, some he's just been kind of caught in different situations and other fights where he's not looked spectacular. There's a, a part of me that thinks this is definitely a trap fight. But I think there's also a big part of me that knows, Chemayev knows what's on the line here. I really, after looking at this fight and after watching some Gerald Mearshart footage over the last week of some of the stuff he's, uh, some of the, the fights that he struggled in, I really think this might be a fight that Shemaev goes in there and wins in about two minutes. I know that's kind of crazy because of Mearshart's from who he's fought and how he's been in there, but I I would be surprised if this fight got out of the first round. I, I'm, I'm I don't want to say I'm fully on the hype train just yet. I, I'm not driving the bus or anything, but I do think this is this is good matchmaking, and I do think this is a good fight for Shemaev to come in. And, and put on another good show. Won't be as easy as his last fights. I think Mearshart has the ability to put him in a little bit of trouble, but I think just the style of Chemayev, he does have the ability to overwhelm Mearshart quickly and get a finish in the first round. Yeah, I, uh, I done a little bit of research on Chemayev, and I found a uppercut knockout to his resume. He fought for a company called Brave MMF. Um, I'm not really sure who the promotion is. It, it kind of, you know, some of the some of the writing on the cage is in English, and some of it was in um, another language. It's a awesome. very it's a very popular promotion. It's a very popular promotion in Europe that actually specializes in going to America and getting prospects and bringing them over to fight international fighters. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I had no idea who they were, and it, I hate not knowing who they are now, but. Um, the other one was, um, I guess it's FCR MMA Fight Club Rush. Uh, they are that, that is the company in Russia that is ran by the former matchmaker of M1. You are my guy, Cody. That's what I'm saying. We're going to overtake Ariel in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found he had a rear naked choke in that fight, but literally mid rear naked choke. And you might have seen the same videos that I'm that I'm talking about. 
me and Rene Kachok, he adjusts his mouthpiece. One <laughs> arm around the guy's neck. The other hand, he puts his mouthpiece back in and then lays down and chokes the guy out. Uh, in Brave, it was a, an uppercut. Um, and let me tell you, yeah, the, the uppercut's beautiful. I mean, he, he faints really good, steps in with it, and as soon as it connects, he actually skips off of the center line and turns. I, he, he has hands. Um, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a first-round finish. As much as I like Gerald Mearshart, and it, I feel bad for him, man. I really do because, you know, I mean, you've talked about this last time, you know, with the double booking. It, in my mind as a coach and as a fighter and now as a guy with a platform where – Essentially, all I all I have to do is just watch fights and talk about them. I'm I I feel like Gerald Mearshart is is deeply disrespected, but I cannot see him beating Chimaev unless he just catches him kind of cold and and you know runs at him with a flying fucking jump kick. You know what I mean? I just right. I I have to give this to Chimaev. Now further than that, you know, when you get into the deep waters, you know, Damian Maya's. Kamaru Usman's or, or Gilbert Burns or even Paulo Costa's and, and Israel Adesanya's, then that's a different conversation. For right now, Gerald Mearshart, uh, I hate uh, – sorry, buddy. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's it's one of those situations where, I, you know, I'm not counting Mearshart out. He definitely – I think you, you said it perfect. If this fight goes into the second and third round, this could become a different fight. And I, I definitely think that Chemayev – is not yet a title contender, but from what I've seen from both guys, I just think Chimaev has a game plan that could that could trouble Mirchar. You know, we've seen him get overwhelmed in fights before with guys who who are very aggressive, and I think that could be the downfall. Is if he's in a fight against someone who's who's real aggressive, you know, Mirchar's a guy who usually you know he fights well in the fights that kind of go on a little bit. You know, some of his best performances when against Trevin Giles, when against Darren Wynn. Uh, you know, the win against uh, Eric Spicely. You know, those fights go on a little bit longer when he's able to kind of start putting things together. His losses have come from being overwhelmed uh, fairly quickly and, uh, you know, just losing early early parts of the fights. Even the fights he's lost by decision, it's because he struggled in the early rounds and then put things together late. So I do like Chemayev in that fight. Uh, but again, I just think that is also a, a trap fight. Uh, maybe the most overlooked fight on the card, one that I'm looking forward to uh, almost as much as I am Chabayev and Mirshart, is that light heavyweight fight. Johnny Walker yes. and Ryan Spann are two very good light heavyweights who fly under the radar. Uh, Johnny Walker was on top of the radar. He sort of had the you know Chabayev hype train in his factor just because of the fact that he is wild. He is unpredictable. He is a borderline crazy inside the cage. He is fun to watch. Uh, you know, you – you want to see him fight because he does wild things, and then if he wins, you get scared to death that he'll hurt himself during the celebration. He is one of those fighters. Uh, against Ryan Spann, though, uh, he's, he's fighting a guy who, who's on a nice little tear here. I mean, he's won multiple fights in a row, had the win against Sam Alvey earlier this year before that, wins over Devin Clark, the win over Lil Nog. Uh, he's yet to really fight a guy up there in ranking. But there's a lot of people who, who really like the skill set, the all-around game of Ryan Spann. Uh, this is a really under-the-radar fight at lay heavyweight, especially considering that that division is really getting turned over on its head here as they'll crown a new champion in uh, uh, a week. So that's a, that's a big-time fight where if one of those guys really come in and looks impressive, I know Walker's on a two-fight losing streak, so this is mostly for Ryan Spann. If Spann comes in there and, and gets a quick finish, whether it's TKO, submission, or if he just beats the crap out of Walker for three rounds, there's a good chance Ryan Spann can jump a lot of guys in this light heavyweight division. Absolutely, man. And, and 
what's so crazy is that Johnny Walker, you're absolutely right. He soared to the top of the light heavyweight division. And then he kind of had this fall from grace. You know, Corey Anderson um, kind of, I don't want to say derailed the hype train. In a lot of ways, he really did. Let's not forget that Johnny Walker is a phenom, right? He's absolutely weird. Um, but, you, you know, you look at, at Ryan Spann, you know, Sam Alvey, Devin Clark, uh, Noguera, you know, he – here a Florida fellow Florida guy, Alex Nicholson, you know, he, uh, Ryan Spence put together a great resume coming in on a, um, let's see, a, a nine fight win streak. Um, but Johnny Walker, I seen something the other day. I, I don't, I guess he was like really big into partying and he was, he's partying quite a bit. Apparently he stopped partying and he's training now full time at, uh, at SBG Ireland. And, from what John Kavanaugh has posted and other people from SBG, um, I mean, Walker looks absolutely phenomenal. So Johnny Walker is one of those guys that I will almost never count out. Uh, so I'm just going to go for Johnny Walker by a weird, probably backflip off the cage, t- big-ass elbow. I don't know. Elbow off the top rope, something. Something <laughs> weird. Yeah, Walker is one of those guys that is unpredictable, and that, that makes his fights hard to call because even if, you know, Ryan Spann could go in there and beat him up for, for literally 14 minutes and 30 seconds, and that last 30 seconds is all Johnny Walker needs to land a, a big knee or elbow and get a finish. So I, I love that fight. I will lean towards Ryan Spann just based on the fact that I, I, I don't like the last two performances from, from Johnny Walker. Uh, the Corey Anderson fight kind of gave him a pass on because that was a brawl, and Anderson just landed the better punches. I really didn't like what I seen from Johnny Walker. Uh, against Nikita Krylov. I did not know, though, he was with SBG now, so that, that could play a, a huge factor in that fight. But I will still lean toward Ryan Spann. I'm a big fan of Ryan Spann. I, I think he's uh, one of the most underrated fighters, period, in, in the UFC currently based on you know just his all-around skill set. And I do like the fact that he's in that light heavyweight division where, again, there's a lot of things changing. And that division, you know, when we, when we do a podcast, you know, the, the first week of October – uh, there will be so many new things to talk about in the 205-pound uh, division. Just a couple other fights to talk about on that card, uh, two fights that are going to start the main card. Uh, Josh, I like both these fights as well. Mackenzie Dern against uh, Randa Marcos. Marcos' uh, record might uh, you know, c- catch people off guard, 10-9-1, and one, uh, but she's just got a, a, a unique skill set where she uh, holds people down, very good grappler, but at times it, she'll, she just kind of loses it and then – uh, kind of like we talked about the Woodley lacks in confidence and can get picked apart on the feet and even just get overpowered because she's just not fully going for things. Uh, this will be a fight. She really has to grind and, you know, or keep it standing because Mackenzie Dern's one of the, the best female fighters period in the world in terms of grappling and getting fights on the ground. So that's a, that's some interesting matchmaking. You almost think it's a fight where, you know, Dern gets a, a win over a, a tough veteran and a fighter who's got some, big wins and can make Dern look pretty good as she's still kind of coming back into her own post-pregnancy. And then the middleweight fight between Darren Stewart and Kevin Holland, two guys who won fights recently. Uh, I love Kevin Holland. I think, you know, 18 of five, some fights he's not looked great in, but man, he's got all the tools to be just a, a, a real life contender in that middleweight division. So I like both those fights kicking off the main card. Absolutely. And, you know, Kevin Holland, you're right. I mean, he, he has all the tools. Darren Stewart kind of showed in his last fight against Mikey Patola, you know, he kind of has all the tools, you know, we're kind of knowing uh, Darren Stewart is, is the, the dentist, the guy that just hits people hard as hell. 
uh, and ended up submitting Maki Patolo after an absolutely great fight. Um, I, I kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of agreeing with you on this one. You know, Kevin Holland, this is kind of hard to bet against him. And when it comes to Mackenzie Dern and Randall Marcos, uh, I almost think Mackenzie Dern's style kind of plays into to Randall Marcos a little bit. I think if Marcos was to in, uh, engage in anything uh, super grappling, uh, you know, maybe a clinch situation or maybe shoots and fails for a, a single or a double, it's still going to wind up going pretty good for Mackenzie Dern. I mean, that girl is – uh, you know, say what you want about Mackenzie Dern kind of getting like a, a little push. She absolutely deserves it. She's probably one of, if not the best, um, jiu-jitsu fighter, at least, in the UFC. Uh, so I'm going to kind of lean toward Dern on that one, just for the simple fact that Randa Marcos has more ways to mess up, in my mind, than Mackenzie Dern would. Yeah, and you got to remember that Dern's one loss was to an up-and-comer who we now know is pretty good in Amanda Rivas, so that's not a bad loss to have on your record. A lot of people wrote Dern off as a contender after that fight, and now we know that Amanda Rivas is legit, you know, a, a perennial top 15 strawweight, so, so that's a good fight. Uh, anything on the uh, preliminary card stand out to you? Again, this is one of those big cards. I mean, the UFC's went from putting on shows with seven or eight fights, and don't want to jinx nothing here as we're doing this this podcast a few days before the show but i mean the ufc is really kind of getting all their fights in before they head to fight island you got jordan espinosa fighting on the pre- preliminary card uh, a couple uh contender series alarms uh, tj Lormy, i know you're a big fan of him he's back fighting on his first a- actual ufc show uh tyson nam was supposed to fight last weekend coming off that crazy knockout in the first round a couple months back he was supposed to fight last weekend uh, but that fight got canceled, so now he fights this weekend on sh- on short notice against another contender series alum and Jerome Rivera. Uh, Andre Yule's also on the card, so there's there's some there's some names on the preliminary card of this show as well. Absolutely, man. And you know, we talked about last week. We talked about um, you know I kind of had like a list of up and comers to kind of keep your eye out for. Well, there's three of them right here on the prelim card. If you if you tune in early enough, you'll see him. Tyson Nam being that number one guy uh, at Bantam or. At, not the number one guy at Bantamweight, but the number one uh, kind of leading off the show uh, fighting uh, Jerome Rivera at Bantamweight, you know, Tyson Nam made my list. You know, the next fight at Featherweight, TJ Laramie. And TJ Laramie was on the list. Uh, you know, after that, you know, we get another Bantamweight fight. And then, you know, right after that, the fourth fight in, Randy Costa, you know, who, uh, you know, five and one is kind of an underwhelming record. You know, not too, too many fights. But Randy Costa is definitely – um, an up-and-comer to kind of keep your eye on. And then at women's bantamweight, you know, you have Jesse Rose Clark, who a lot of people will know just from the one performance uh, over Paige Van Zandt. You know, the reason that Paige has kind of had all these uh, arm surgeries and, and all this arm trouble, you know, Jesse Rose Clark kind of coming back. And if you follow her on social media, she's looking really lean, uh, kind of getting kind of getting thick. You know, she's lifting a lot. And, you know, that CSA camp, man, that she's at, you know, you have – uh, both the Frosto sisters, you have, um, gosh, he's, he's in Bellator spinning, spinning elbow knockout. I'm trying to think of his name and I apologize for not knowing, uh, Michael Page. No, no, not uh, Page. The younger guy, um, uh, got, uh, Gaston Bolanos. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bolanos. Uh, I mean, CSA is packed full of, absolutely incredible fighters and, and Jesse Rose Clark, you know, she's another one of those fighters, you know, nine, six and, and one, no contest. It's kind of an underwhelming record, but make no mistake. I mean, Jesse Rose brings it every single time. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's a, a prelim card that's full of up and coming names. You know, you mentioned it, Jordan Espinoza, uh, closing out the prelim card. I mean, it's, it's, essentially it's it's a lot of up-and-comers but then you have these people you know jesse rose clark who kind of has a name for herself already mersad bektich at featherweight who a lot of people kind of tend to forget about but mersad bektich at one point was was surging and he was making a name for himself you know yeah the the prelim card should be absolutely fun man as as long as it lasts because we we both know these these fights have a potential of ending very quickly Oh yeah. And there's so much that, you know, especially in terms, you know, we were talking earlier about, uh, uh, you know, putting picks in and doing that stuff, but these cards change so rapidly. It's hard to really have a grasp on what everything will happen once we get to Saturday night, but hopefully a lot of this card can stay in. I love the, the Derek minor TJ Lormy fight. Good chance to, for a lot of people who maybe don't uh, follow the contender series very closely, get a chance to see TJ. I love that Bantamweight fight, you know, journey nuisance, uh, an underrated guy who's got a fun style against Randy Costa, who, as you mentioned, is a, a five and one guy that people will kind of look at and scoff at. But I mean, he's, he's, he's the guy to really watch in the Bantamweight division. So a lot of fighters that we're going to get a chance to see a little bit more of on the final show from Las Vegas. Uh, just quick picks here, Josh, and we'll run through the main card and, and we'll make our, our quick picks here. We'll just start at the, the, the main card, uh, Kevin Holland, Darren Stewart, I like Holland in this fight. I think he'll get a finish. I think we'll see a, a second-round TKO from Kevin Holland. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I, as much as I like Darren Stewart, you know, he beat my boy, Monkey Patolo. i got to go with Kevin Holland on this one. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, Random Marcos at Strawway. Uh, I'll give Marcos a round to, to survive, but I, I think in the second round, Mackenzie Dern going to su- find a submission somewhere, maybe even uh, a leg lock of some sort in that second round. Absolutely. I, I think – uh, I think it could happen sooner. I think we could have a first round, maybe a clinch on the cage kind of situation. Randa Marcos thinks she's doing the right thing by taking Dern down, and, and Dern just strangles her. But I, I'm going to go ahead and pick Mackenzie Dern uh, round one. Then you get the light heavyweight fight, uh, Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann. Uh, that kind of starts the unpredictable part of the card where who knows what's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, Johnny Walker, you got you to watch him. He, he can strike from anywhere within any part of that 15 minutes. Uh, I'll take Ryan Spann. Uh, I'm not sure who'll get the finish. I think this will be a decision win for Ryan Spann. Yeah, I, man, it's absolutely unpredictable. It's going to be violent no matter what. Uh, I've got Johnny, Johnny Walker. I'm going to say, I'm going to call it right here. I'm going to say it's going to be a spinning elbow. Uh, I'm going to go round two because hopefully we get two rounds of that kind of violence. Oh, yeah. That's a fun one. I'm really looking forward to that fight at 205 pounds. Uh, let's go middleweight. It's Kazmat Chemaev, the hype train, 8-0 super prospect against the veteran Gerald Mirshar. Uh, I like Chemaev. I like him in the first round, about two minutes in. I think he'll uh, get a TKO with strikes. I think he'll kind of stay away from the submissions. I think he'll, he'll get a solid position, work some ground and pound, and get a finish uh, inside, I'll say inside three minutes in that first round. I'm going to have to agree 100%. I think it's a TKO uh, first round, probably probably about three minutes, man. You, you might have it down, Pat. I, I just think that in, in terms of um, fighting styles and uh, just overall, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it, man. He's just – he's a fucking scary guy. I'm going to have to go with Kamzat Jamayev, man. Just, he's just going to be the aggressor, and he's – He's going to be aggressive. That's all I'm saying. Co-main event, a fun welterweight fight between uh, two just guys who have fight of the nights out the wazoo in terms of how the how they like to fight. You have Donald Cowboy Cerrone and Nico Price. 
Uh, this one's really tough for me to call, uh, but uh, I, I'm going to go Nico Price here. I think it uh, – I don't know what the betting guards are here. I know in terms of just who they fought most recently, maybe a bit of an upset. Uh, but I do think Nico, you know, may get beat up some. No doubt there will probably be some blood on him somewhere. Uh, but it won't all be his own blood. I, I think definitely he's got the – the strikes, he's got the power, a little bit more pop than Cowboy Cerrone at this point. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Nico Price. I'll probably take Nico uh, late second-round finish. I think he'll pour it on, and Cerrone will, will try to survive and get to that third round, and the ref will end up coming in and stopping it. So I'll, I'll take Nico Price late second-round stoppage. I like how, uh, like how methodical your picks are. I wish I could. I wish I had the, the patience to like sit down and think, but the fight fan of me is like, go! <laughs> um Okay, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this, and and I'm just going to – so I think because Don Cerrone is so technical on the feet, um, I think he's going to give Nico a lot of problems. I don't don't think he's going to force a finish. I think we're probably going to have uh, three full rounds of Cerrone. Yeah, he's going to get popped. He's going to get hit. He's probably going to get wobbled, but I just think the veteran grit and – I don't know, something about this kind of makes me think it might be one of the last times that we see Cowboy – um, so the, the inner fight fan of me wants to see him go out on top, but I truly think that he has the skills to beat Nico price. And I think that he's going to put it all together on Saturday. And, and I think we'll have a pretty good, uh, uh, OG Cowboy Cerrone performance. All right. And that'll take us to the main event, uh, the rivalry matchup between Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley, uh, Woodley, former welterweight champion, Covington, uh, former interim champion, former uh, two-time, I don't know, had the interim title and then took it away and then kind of got it back and then fought for the title, whatever. Lost the real title fight against Usman. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it's a big fight. We talked about it earlier. It's high stakes for it to be a non-title fight. You know, We both agree there's a lot on the line here for both guys. Uh, you know, For Woodley, it would be – just a devastating loss with two coming off two pretty devastating performances with his losses to Usman and Gilbert Burns for Colby Covington. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned it. He looked so good and that one loss probably shouldn't have hurt him as bad as it did. But when you talk that much trash, you ha- you can't get your jaw broke. I mean that you just give as too much fuel to the fire. Uh, it's a big fight. Uh, you know, there's part of me and it's a small part, Josh, a real small part that wonders if Woodley will fight different, if he will come out a bit more aggressive, if he'll let his hands go because he, A, hates Colby Covington, and B, knows that this is really him fighting for his UFC life in in terms of what's on the line of this fight. It's really hard for me, though, to visualize that scenario playing out. So I will take Colby Covington in the fight. It's it's tough to, to think what he'll... I don't know if Colby will finish Woodley because I just think that Woodley will have too much determination to not be finished by Colby. So I will, I will take a, a decision here, but I do think, uh, I think you compared it to the Usman Woodley fight earlier. I like that comparison, but I think Woodley or I think Covington rather will play with his food a little bit more, if you will. Uh, I think Colby gets it done uh, in a, in a pretty, uh, not one-sided, but a pretty easy decision victory. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think Colby's going to win. I think he's going to grind Woodley out. And I'm, I'm picking Colby Covington, right? But I want everybody to go on record as knowing I'm not going to be surprised if Woodley comes out and starches Colby. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's 70-30 for me, 70% Colby. The, the only reason I'm giving Woodley a chance here 
is because he might truly hate Colby Covington enough that he comes out. He says, fuck it. If he takes me down, he takes me down. And he just bombs him with a right hand that just sends Colby into next week. I just can't see it happening. I think, you know, you mentioned it earlier. Woodley was an NCAA wrestler. You know, he wrestled the best, wrestled Johnny Hendricks. Um, you know, he, he trains with Ben Askren or trained with Ben Askren for a long time. You know, Tyron Woodley has good wrestling. What he struggled against is these chain wrestlers that, that just are relentless and they're unforgiving. And I think that's what Colby's going to be. I think he's going to be unforgiving and just relentless, uh, constantly holding Tyron against the cage or even, you know, even just just scaring him with the thought of, of being taken down. And I just – I can't see Woodley pulling the trigger. So, I think Colby's going to get it done. I'm not going to say easily. I'd say he'll probably – you know, he'll probably take a couple, you know. But it's not going to be enough. I think I think Colby's going to get it done in five rounds. Might it could be boring, but I don't think so. I think it's going to be one sided. It's going to be dominant. And expect a ranting Colby Covington afterwards. I cannot wait for the post fight interview. I mean, he may try to bring Trump to the cage with him. You just never know, you know, with Colby and them. I know, <laughs> I know, I know Colby and Engage and them all actually hung out with Trump earlier this week. Did you see the picture of all them hanging out? I I did, man. I you know what really surprised me was Ali and Henry Cejudo were there. Yeah, that caught me um, off guard too. Especially Ali, man. Is he like kind of under some investigations and stuff for different things? He yeah, he was a he, well, he's a government informant. He's like a former terrorist turned yeah. informant. I hate to I hate to throw away or throw around names like that. But yeah, he was a terrorist turned informant. But hey, man, you know what wouldn't surprise me is if Colby got COVID before his fight because that was a lot of people at that rally i'm i don't want to jinx us but that is what's been in my mind since i've seen those photos i wasn't thinking oh he's at a trump rally all this all that i was like oh my gosh if he gets covid i'm gonna be pissed oh man i didn't even think about that now i don't want to think about that although this is a good card and it would still it still has some pop. I think the UFC has really sort of went all in with those two uh, finally fighting. And you got to think, you know, the UFC, you know, for Dana White and them, there's no doubt that both Woodley and Covington at different times have been a thorn in Dana and the brass's side. So, you know, this is one of those fights where maybe in the UFC's mind, they're like, look, regardless of what happens, we could probably get rid of one of these guys. So let's hope this fight. Both of them. <laughs> let's hope this fight gets done, and we, we can just move on from this and move forward with uh, some of the next big shows. And Josh, next week we'll we'll break down everything that happened during this fun final fight card. And man, we'll we'll take off. We'll virtually head back to Abu Dhabi and to uh, Fight Island, and it's a big show to talk about next week. Absolutely, man. I will wear my tank top next week. I will be ready. The one thing that I want to ask you before we go, Cody. If in the event that Colby Covington and Woodley was to get rescheduled due to COVID, who would be the new headliner? Would they let Donald Cerrone headline the show, or are they just going to give it to Kamzat Chumayev and, and let him have that star power? That's an interesting one. I would say they would go Cerrone and Price because that fight is more likely to need the uh, extra rounds if they make it a five round. They may keep it three, uh, but I think they would still headline with Cowboy due to the name value I think the UFC won't headline with Shemaev because in their mind, they still think this fight could go about a minute and a half long. So I would, I would think that's what they would do. But, uh, hey, I would not put it past them one bit, though, if we see a big poster come out tomorrow that has Kazmat Shemaev big front and center and Gerald Mearshart, just a little picture of him in the background. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, who was it that that happened? Was it Woodley and Lawler? And it's Lawler had, was super big, and that, Woodley was so small. That's one of the UFC's favorite poster designs. I don't know who thought about it and who thought it was a good idea, but they've used that poster design so many times. They did it with uh, George St. Pierre and Nick Diaz. That was one of the oh. first big ones, and it was like, why would you do that? <laughs> it's so silly. That's, for, for someone who's done some graphic design and actually used to make posters for MMA events, uh, that's one of my least favorite designs, and the UFC has used it at least four times. Guys, before we let you go, I do want to – I don't know if I want to keep this little segment going here or or maybe just maybe just for tonight, kind of put it out there. But I do want to mention, um, if you have UFC Fight Pass, it's an absolutely great tool to have. Um, just a couple fights, just to, just to get you through the week, man. They're always really fun. Dustin Poirier and Anthony Pettis is going to be my number one. Super bloody, super fun fight. You kind of get to see some some fun, high-intensity uh, MMA jiu-jitsu in that fight. Number two, I'm going to kick it back to Nick Diaz since we're, he's trending right now. Nick Diaz, Paul Daly, it's strike force. you got to kind of scroll for a minute to find it. Or if you can't find that one, go to Nick Diaz and BJ Penn because that was a beautiful performance by Nick. Uh, and my third one, Cody, my third one, this is going to – it's going to confuse you, right? Damian Maya versus Ben Askren. Ooh, the worst, the by far some of the worst uh, striking you'll ever see, but some beautiful ground transitions and uh, yeah. So that's what I'm leaving the people with. If I wanted to give them three fights just to get them through the week, those are the three that I'm giving them. I'm trying to avoid everybody that's on the card this weekend and just give you three random fights. I like it. I like the random fights. And you know what? I'll throw in one extra. We talked a little bit early uh, about uh, Daniel Cormier. So anyone who's already missing Daniel Cormier, you want to see a fun fight, people forget about that crazy fight he had in Strike Force with Josh Barnett. So if you're looking for a fight oh, where, there's, yes. where there's body slams and just the commentators and the fans freaking out about something they didn't see coming, go back and watch the uh, Daniel Cormier, Josh Barnett, uh, UFC Strike Force Grand Prix fight because that was one of the, that was one of the first times we really got to see the true Daniel Cormier, where he was popping Barnett with hooks and picking him up and slamming him down. One of the one of the crazy fights you'll ever see. And I know a lot of people uh, sort of forgot about those early Cormier fights when he was on the rise. But uh, that's a fun one to add to your uh, UFC. Going to go back and watch Fight Pass Collection if that's something you got planned for this weekend. Yeah, man. Those strike force fights were fun, man. Oh, yeah. And it goes to show just how much MMA has grown over the last couple of years. I mean, I could I could honestly say go on there and just look up any strike force fight, you know, because they just there was a, a weird intensity about them and it just made them super fun. And and uh, but yeah, I just wanted to leave people with a couple fights and I'm glad you I'm glad you threw a fight in there too. Uh just something to kind of hold you over throughout the week if you have fight pass. Cody, I've had a lot of fun with this one, man. Yeah, man. Good times. We'll do it again next week. We'll have a fun fight to recap with the Covington and Woodley, and then uh, we'll jump to uh, UFC 253. Adesanya, Costa, Reyes, which all going on next week. Two title fights to talk about. Uh, Going to be a good time. Josh, as always, been fun, man. Awesome, brother. All right, we'll catch you next time right here on Baseline MMA. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA.